And Father, we have just one example of how you respond to Job in these first 11 verses. As we move through the, these two chapters, we're going to see more. But we stop right now because our hearts are heavy. With our own personal suffering, maybe disappointments with the family, with a marriage, with our finances or business, with our own health. And we don't know what you're doing. We live in a world that cries out, where is God? Why did God? And now in the last 24 hours, Lord, our hearts break for El Paso, Texas. We, we talk about it like it's just a city, but we know there are people who represented persons, families, Churches, people who love. We think of Dayton and we think of the, those impacted by the, the stru- struggle and trouble there overnight. And we know that there will be people in the world who will say, if that's who God is, then I don't know I can serve him. I'm not going to serve him. And we know that you want to address that question in our hearts today. Would you help us? Because we need the help. We need you to come. We need you to speak to us today. And so we we pray for that help in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are. We're in the midst of that suffering. We're beginning to answer or ask questions. We're beginning to look up. We've, We've now asked our questions. Where were you, God? We've put him on the witness stand. We're examining him. We live in a culture that joins in and loves to examine God and, and bring judgment to him. We have uh, now reached the point in Job where finally God shows up. And so we see that in Job chapter 38 and verse 1. And so uh, the way we're going to kind of phrase things today as we think through what do we learn in Job 38 and 39, it's a, it's a message to sufferers and it's a, a message to the grieving. And so sufferers are those with ongoing pain now. Grievers are the ones who are still confused and in pain about something that they had that is now gone. Now, sometimes when you're a griever, you're a griever for life. Because some things that the Lord removes from you, he removes for the rest of your days in this world. They're gone. And so, I would venture to say, if you've lived long enough, certainly, all of us in here have some level of grief when it comes to one of the categories that Job is about. Family, or wealth, or health. And so uh, here we are uh, in the midst of our suffering and our grieving, our longing to have what has been taken from us, the Lord will show up. And that is the, the heartbeat of chapter 38. After all of these musings, after all of these questions, finally the Lord shows up. In chapter 38 and verse 1, it says it like this, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Can I, I, I don't know who you have had show up for you when you think about who God is in the midst of your suffering. But sometimes, you know, when I'm suffering, the one who shows up is the one with the right answers, the one with the correct information. And so I somehow view God as the theological teacher of my soul. 
He's going to tell me interesting facts about himself. That's not who shows up. Uh, from chapter 2 all the way through chapter 38, we have not seen, and by the way, if you want to say, well, what is the key word in Job 38 and 39? Circle the word, Lord. That's the key word. We haven't seen the word Lord used in all of this interesting back and forth, talking about information about God for 30 plus chapters. We haven't seen the word Lord since chapter 2, verse 7, when Satan left the presence of the Lord to go out and hassle Job. And from that point forward, we hear words like, then God. God is the generic term for the almighty one. And you know what? Sometimes when you are in your greatest moment of struggle, that's the only thing you can see about him. Do you know him as Lord? What does it mean to know him as Lord? The Lord is the personal covenantal name for who God is. Now, if you're like me, you can say, okay, good. More theological information. Personal covenantal name. That's not what I want you to hear when you hear the word Lord. When you hear the word Lord, when you hear the word personal, I want you to hear friend. He's the friend who shows up. I have my whole life read Job 38 as if the Almighty showed up to wipe Job's complaints from his presence. Strong right hand to get Job to be quiet. And can I just tell you, because we have the word Lord there, that's not at all who showed up. The one who shows up is the friend. Just like in Genesis chapter 3, Adam has sinned. And he has been told, in the day that you sin, Adam, you will surely die. Who shows up in Job, excuse me, in Genesis chapter 3? It is not the angry God who's going to be vindictive and quickly wipe Adam off the face of the planet. The one who shows up is the Lord God. The one who is the friend of Adam's soul. The one who says, oh, Adam, I, I told you about what was going to happen if you sinned, and now here's what I'm going to do. And right off the bat, if you're like me, you're like, what would I do? What would I do if my four-year-old blatantly disregarded all my instruction and got themselves into trouble and rebelled against me? What would I do? Well, if you're going to do what God does, you're going to show up as a friend in that moment. Not as the vindictive one. Not as the one whose rights as ruler have been somehow uh, crossed. Not as the, the one with all power who can wipe somebody off. No, no. He shows up as the friend. And that's exactly what God does in Genesis chapter 3 when he shows up. And you know what the words coming out of his mouth in Genesis 3.15? Oh, Adam, I promise you, I am going to send my son, the redeemer of the world, who will be the only one who can destroy the enemy who has deceived you today and take away the sins of the world. I promise I'm going to send a redeemer who's going to take things and make them right. And that is exactly the person that shows up in Job chapter 38. After months of complaining after months of trouble. You know, Job started so well. If we look back in Job chapter 1, we see that he worshiped the Lord. And he says these words, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We go on from Job chapter 1 and we get to Job chapter 2. Job held fast 
to his integrity in the midst of this trouble. That's in Job chapter 2, verse 3. In Job chapter 9, Job knows all of the correct information. His bad counselors are coming to him, and he's saying, guys, guys, God created everything. He holds everything in its place. He knows everything about life and death. Don't blame him. And then in Job chapter 19, Job knows that there's going to be a redeemer to come. It's as if he is rehearsing uh, Genesis chapter 3. Don't worry, guys. We can't figure this out right now. But God has promised that there's going to be a redeemer, and I know my eyes are going to see the redeemer. He's going to come with love and grace and help. I know it. But now Job is fading. The longer we persist in grief, the more likely it is that our affections for the Lord are going to fade. The more we multiply words about what God might be doing when we don't know, the more likely it is that our words are going to be wrong. We're going to, we're going to trip up. We're going to speak sinfully about God himself and what he may be doing here. And so Job continues to fade in his grief. Job's grief filled him with more and more questions. His uh, counselors were not answering them well. And the blessed be the name of the Lord from Job chapter uh, 1 has now become defiant complaints. Job 29, 1 through 5. And if you look at Job chapter 32, you say, how can you be so sure that he's fading like that? Look what Elihu says. We studied this a couple weeks ago, but I just want to give you an example. So, you know, I'm not just making this up that Job's fading in his words. Job 32, verse 2, Then Elihu, the son of Barachel, the Buzite, of the family of Ram, he burned with anger. So, if you remember Elihu, he's the younger but wise counselor. And it says, Elihu burned with anger at Job because he, listen, he justified himself rather than God. That's what a prolonged season of suffering can do to you and me, and we're blind to it. Did Job know the right answer? Yeah. Job chapter 9. His words line up with what, Job, with what God says about himself in chapter 38 almost identically. You know, sometimes when we come to this moment and the Lord shows up, we do not need any more true-isms. We do not need any more theologically accurate information. And certainly, as fellow sufferers in the world, we can sometimes err on the side of multiplied words. And what we're learning here is that when we multiply words, and as our grief becomes central in our life, we will all often misspeak about who God is and what he's doing in that situation. So Job continues to fade in his grief. The Lord, as we've already said, is the most important word here. And the one who shows up, he's been listening all the, all the time. He's been hearing all of these words that Job's been speaking. And can I just encourage you? He's been listening to all of your words about your grief. Some of them spoken out loud. Some of them on tear-stained pages in your journal. Some of them you're so embarrassed that you feel and believe them that they're, they're not spoken and they're not written in your journal. They're tucked away deep in the recesses of your broken heart. Where are you, God? Why? But the Lord shows up. 
When you see the word Lord there, read it like this. My friend Jehovah, who keeps all his promises, shows up. My friend Jehovah, in the midst of my weeping, in the midst of my multiplied sinning, in the way that I think about him and speak about him, shows up and promises. Well, we'll see what he promises here in just a minute. Okay? The Lord indicates this one. We've talked about how good he is. The Lord is not this unapproachable, far-off power. And he's not just this uh, almighty one. And he's not just this generic God. How do you think about God today? Today. Is he close? Is he your friend, Jehovah, who keeps all his promises? When he shows up, that's how he wants you to see him. He is the, he's Yahweh, my friend Jehovah, who keeps all his promises. So guys, we do not always need more true information. We need for God to show up. In the midst of our suffering and grieving, the Lord will show up. And some of us will answer, the when? When will the Lord show up? And I, I want to answer that question for you this morning two or three ways. One, he has always been there. The Lord knows exactly what you're going through. He is not surprised by the level of your pit, the darkness therein. He is not surprised by the crying out of your heart and the difficulty you're going through. He is not surprised as your marriage is not what you thought it might be one day. He is not surprised at the level of questioning you have in your heart of when or if this will ever become something more than it is. He's not surprised. He hears it all. He's present with you. He knows. The second thing I want you to know is that in the midst of him knowing all of that, I believe that your suffering in this world will usually be temporary. That seasons of great grief... Now again, let's go back to this. When we're grieving the loss of someone we we love or we're grieving the loss of some issue, we've got diagnosed with a permanent or terminal illness... God's with you in the midst of that. I'm not telling you all of that is going to to end, but I I am telling you he has made a way for you to, to be victor in the midst of that. I am telling you that he sent his son, Jesus. He's kept his promise. We don't just talk about him generally. Well, God's always told us he's this friend who keeps his promises. Just believe him. He's demonstrated that he's your friend who keeps his promises. He's given you the word. You can examine it throughout its history. You can take a look at the cross of Jesus Christ. You know that he rose in power the third day. You know that he is is good to you. You know that as this life is difficult, it's leading to a, a future where God's name is glorified. You know that as Jesus humbled himself on the cross, he will be glorified at every knee and, and uh, will, will bow before him and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. You know that one day he will return and receive you to be with him. And so the ultimate reality of how the Lord will show up for some of us, yeah, it's true. There will not be an end to the suffering that you have in this world in terms of complete stoppage even even when the Lord shows up, even when the Lord is present. And so what we need to do is not so much look for the suffering to come to an end. We've got to take a look at what happens when the Lord does show up, okay? So verse 2, who is this that darkens counsels by words? Words without knowledge. 
Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. And so the second real concept that we're looking at here is that in the midst of suffering and grieving, the Lord is going to question your questions. You know what? I think as, as fellow grievers, we sometimes close, come close to one another and we're like, you know, we've we got to give the kid gloves. We've got to be the kindness. We've got to be gentle with one another. And the reality is, as humans, we do need to be gentle and patient with one another. God has waited back, and when he arrives on the scene, he is not gentle. That's why sometimes we read this passage as if he's angry. But firmness is not meanness. Firmness is not anger. The Lord shows up to shake Job. And that's what we've talked about. Does he need more right information? Nope, he doesn't. He needs to connect the dots in his head that the right information is about his best friend who shows up keeping promises. He needs to be reminded that the information that he knows to be true is pointing to a person that he's supposed to love. And sometimes our suffering can make us feel a step removed from a loving relationship with the Lord. And so uh, the Lord will graciously question your questions in the midst, and he will not always treat you and me with kid gloves in the midst of suffering. Sometimes he will be very firm, and that's exactly what the Lord does. Uh, Who do you think you are, Job? So the response that the Lord gives to Job is meant, so the next two chapters are going to put Job in a position where he goes, okay, okay, I've had the suffering in the middle of my life and I've viewed God and I've viewed the Almighty through the suffering and now what I need to do is be shaken to the point where God is in the center and I see, the, I see my suffering through the Lord. And no longer do I start with, man, the suffering is bad, what's God doing? I start with the Lord is good, What's happening in, the, in my life? Start with the Lord is good. Who do you think you are, Job? You're small. It, three specific things he comes to in verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And he moves on from there. And there are these three specific uh, actions that he's saying, look, Job, where, who, who do you think you are? You weren't there. You are finite, not infinite. You are Uh, You had a beginning. The Lord had no beginning. You weren't even there at the beginning. If you were there, you are uh, weak. And even if you were there and strong, you are not wise enough to understand how I did what I did in the created world. And so as the Lord comes and makes himself known and shakes Job's world up, he's reminding him that he is small, he is temporary, he is not strong enough, and he is not wise enough to even begin to understand all of the things that God is doing all the time. In a world with 7 billion people, God is doing billions of things. And in the little minute suffering that I have experienced in this world, that you have experienced in this world, he's doing a thousand things you don't know about and you could never understand. You have a friend, maybe it's you, who say, well, when I get to heaven, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, why did you do this and why did you do that? And uh, listen, I don't want to like, scare you here, but this is another one of those things where the kid gloves are off for a minute. Uh, that was Job's attitude. Why'd you do this? 
Why'd you do that? The Lord shows up here and never answers any of Job's questions. Uh, Lord, if you just come close and I could explain my situation to you. I know that you'd do something different today and tomorrow than you've been doing in my life because this hurts. Lord, if you just come close and you could understand what I think, I know that I could control you and you would do it my way. Well, we really think that. And so this interaction where Job uh, has all of these questions, and we live in this, again, this world that puts God on the witness stand and says, you know what, we're going we're gonna to make our judgments about who God is, and at the end of the day, when God shows up, he is not scared of the questions we have, but he also might not answer them at all. And the good and grace that comes from the Lord, the good friend who keeps his promises, it might be, he is so... I know that he is so gracious to not even touch the questions that you have and that I have. And he's not scared away or made small by a world that says, look at El Paso, look at Dayton. Where was God? And he's saying in the midst of suffering and trial, he is drawing the heart of the sufferer close to him and he's doing a billion things in Texas and a billion things in Ohio that you and I have no clue that in the midst of these suffering, weeping, grieving hearts in the U.S. and in those states and in those families, he is making himself strong and he is using suffering and grieving as the opportunity for believers like you and me to show up in each other's lives and care about one another and give grace and help and point the the gaze again up to Jesus Christ and lift the the head to where uh, God is and what he's doing. The Lord is graciously questioning these questions and saying, look, when you talk. Who is it that darkens councils? Who do you think you are? The more you talk in the midst of your suffering, the more you make mistakes about how you think about me. The more you you, uh, portray me to the people around you inaccurately, and then, oh God, help us, the more you believe. I mean, again, go back to chapter 32. Job has spent a lot of time saying, I'm going to justify myself. I'm not worried about justifying God. I'm going to justify me. I must be in the right. And Job is saying, who do you think you are? God is saying, who do you think you are, Job? I'm doing a billion things in this world. I'm running the universe. You weren't present at the beginning. You didn't have the strength to create. You have no clue what it looks like for God to set the foundation of the earth and and measure it out in his hand. And so... The Lord will question our questions, and he is so good to change it all up and not even address some of the questions on your heart and mine. Hey, don't be afraid if you have a friend who is questioning God and has somehow judged him insufficient or unloving based on the troubles in the world. Don't be afraid of that. God's not afraid of it. Don't think that, oh, you're the one who's going to have to come up with an answer to that question. But... Can I just encourage you? Don't let it shake you either. 
Don't get drawn into that way of thinking. Like if God, if the Lord is doing something I don't understand, he must be in the wrong. All of chapter 38 and 39 exists to say he's doing a billion things. He is strong and big and great and mighty. And we don't know what he's doing, but we don't need today more right information, even in the midst of our suffering. We don't need more right information. We need to have an experience where the Lord shows up and we are shaken to the core to realize that all the true information we know about him represents a loving best friend who always keeps his promises. In the midst of suffering and grieving, the Lord will put the majesty of his power and wisdom on display. That's what he wants to do. He, he wants to use suffering to draw us to the place where we say, you are all powerful. You are all wise. You are infinite. And I am not. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How does he do that? Well, verse, uh, we're going to pick it up here in, in verse... 12. Actually, we're going to pick it up. Well, we're going to go all the way back to uh, 38.4. Okay? The Lord will put the majesty of his power and wisdom on display. And uh, uh, take a look at this picture that we're, we're going to look at. Uh, he builds the foundation of the universe on building blocks that we can't understand. We don't get it. We don't know how he measured it out and how the earth hangs where it hangs and how the orbit works as we move around the sun. We can say the information we can say that science has told us some really cool stuff. We don't know why. We don't know how. And so we have here uh, the created, the, the sufferer criticizes the, the God as he governs the universe. But the sufferer, is cre- the sufferer is created and finite, not present. We're ignorant of all the genius and creativity and wisdom that God displays in and through the created world. We are weak and helpless full of lament about suffering. But look at uh, even in verse uh, 7. Because here's what happened. Job is full of lament, but look what the angels did at the beginning of the created world. When the, uh, verse 6, on what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And it's saying, look, the, the angels didn't have words at the beginning when they saw this incredible place that the Lord had made and they saw that he had made man in his own image and, and God put us on his earth and made us in his image and the angels had no words. They, they were done. And so they just started singing songs. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How great and mighty is the Lord. And these created ones, you and me, we suffer some. Some of us suffer greatly. And our songs sometimes stop. As we take the open hand and outreach to God in worship and, and make a fist sometimes and wonder what he's doing. Lord, the... We know that the Lord has done great things in making this earth. Picture picture number two, we've got Lake Michigan. The lake is powerful. I know oceans are powerful, but for me, the lake is 
It's incredible. The Lord prescribes the limits of the oceans and he prescribes the limits of the lake. Yes, even when the lake is at a 35-year high, even when it's at 581 feet, you can go down to this afternoon to get a cup of coffee at one of the coffee shops there on the riverfront and enjoy it and the lake is this far and no further. God is good. Now you can see that when I was a kid, we would go out on North Pier and there was like tiers of cement beneath the, the level of the lake there. And you see now that if there's just a little north wind, the north pier is covered in water. And yet by God's grace, he says this far and no further. He is all powerful, doing great things you don't know and I don't. So we we are called here then to submit our will and our doubts to this all powerful one in the midst of our flood, in the midst of our waters rising, sufferer. You may not have the answers, but you know the one who sets the limits to the suffering. You know the one who says this far and no further. And the morning and the dawn comes. Do you love the morning? I do, as we remain on this picture. These verses are so good. Verse 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Look at verse 13. Okay, so if the Lord is the key word in this passage, and I believe it is, You don't have to necessarily keep note of this, but for me, verse 13 is a statement about who God is. That it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it. And so for me, poetically speaking, verse 13 says, God delights in doing faithful things for sufferers over and over and over again. That's what he does for you. This morning, I don't know how many times you've breathed oxygen in, but can I remind you, your lungs only work because it gives God pleasure. The air that I take into my lungs this morning, it's God's air. All that I breathe out, it's at the Lord's pleasure. He is so good and great to us. And so this picture of of the morning, it's as if uh, evil people... We love the dark, and so we do dumb, wicked things in the dark. And every morning, God is good to make the sun come up, and it's like he is shaking the blanket out again as evil people scurry back away from the, dark, or from the light and take refuge so that the, the light shines and goodness reigns in the land as God uh, shows his power in doing that beautiful, faithful life-giving thing, day after day, even for the sufferer who doubts him. It says then that the clay becomes uh, stronger and more visible. uh, And the, the concept there is, again, as the sun comes up, there are shadows and silhouettes, and you think you can see things, but as the light gives the fullness of its array in the morning, those things that used to be silhouettes and shadows become very clear, and you can see everything in this beautiful created world that the Lord has given us. God knows the the mysteries of the deeps in 16 through 18. Take heart, sufferer, in the expanse of God's great wisdom. In the expanse of God's great wisdom, you are suffering. I can't tell you why. Another beautiful reminder is the fact that when when Job cries out for help and he doesn't get answers, he does get answers. God. He gets the Lord. Keep in mind there was no Bible 
There was no church. There were no prophets. There was no palace. There was no capital. There was no army. There was no, at the time of the writing of the book of Job and in Job's story, it was early, early on in human existence. And so in the midst of no Bible, the Lord showed up to speak, to answer Job. Verses 19 through 21, God knows the mysteries of light and darkness. Verses 22 through 30, take a look at this picture. God has storehouses of snow and hail at his beck and call. God is, guys, we got to enjoy the, the winter, right? We got to enjoy the snow. We got to deal with it at least. God changes the course of history with storms. Do you know that? There's almost not a story. If you get a, bio, if you get a, a historical uh, book about any moment in history that is significant, I, I challenge you to find a battle that wasn't turned, that we write about. It wasn't turned by storms. It wasn't turned by rain. It wasn't turned by strong wind. God is turning the course of human history with the wind that blows. He's amazing. World War II, Normandy. We win the beaches of Normandy because the Germans were on vacation for the weekend because the weather forecast was brutal 75 years ago. And so... We get the beach because God moved our enemies off of the beaches because of rain. God has storehouses of rain and hail and snow, and he does what he wills, and he governs the affairs of mankind, sufferer. He's good. He's doing so many more things than you know that, that I know. We could look at the cosmos and see, and I really do encourage you to, to sit on a clear night with a with a journal in your hand and the Bible open to your favorite psalm and for you to allow the suffering that, that is so in the middle of your life to get moved off the throne of your life by the size of the universe. Why does God make the universe so big? He didn't have to. Nobody would be sitting around going, well, if there's only a, a, our galaxy, well, that's small, so we, we aren't all that impressed, God, right? None of us would be there. And yet he's made millions of galaxies and billions of stars. Why? Because he can. So that when we look up into the sky night, our suffering that we feel in 2019 is made smaller and smaller and less significant and it gets off the throne and centrality of our life and we feel the weight of God's greatness and majesty and we see our place in his universe and feel really small. Your suffering's not sovereign. Your trouble is not king. Because the Lord answers those who are faithful to him and cry out to him. The Lord answers us. We could uh, speak of the clouds. Do you know that yesterday it rained in Sheboygan? Sheboygan is about 15 square miles big. In, uh, this, uh, in 15 square miles, if it rains an inch, that's a lot, I know. But if it rains an inch over 15 square miles, that would be 260 million gallons of water. And that's uh, 2 billion pounds. 2 billion pounds. And we don't know why other than to say, well, there's these molecules of dust that hold it there. Okay, yeah. Molecules of dust hold 2 billion pounds above the city of Sheboygan until for whatever purpose he decides, God rips the bottom out of the cloud and that weight falls exactly where he wants it. 
God is sovereign. He's sovereign over everything. The clouds. Picture five. We can see that this lion. You know what? You don't worry about what's going on in the Serengeti in the fields of Africa. God feeds the lions. And if we had longer, we would talk more about that. Wild mountain goats. Look at that guy. How long does it take for him to give birth, her to give birth? If he gives birth, that's a whole other miracle. (laughs) How long would it take him to give birth? That's a question only God can answer. God is there delivering these amazing goats. Look at the next picture. The the actual reference here in the text is to these ox that are so big. They're extinct extinct now. We found bones that show how huge they are. And it's like a joke that Job could ever put any kind of a muzzle on them or put any kind of uh, plow, you know, get them tied together. It's just a joke. They were huge. They were untamable. They were strong. God, why does God make these huge, why does God make an ostrich? Who, it's got wings. It can't fly. It's crazy. You know what an ostrich does way too soon? It kicks the young out of the house so she can have more young. That's not good. Why does God make these crazy... Because he can. You could be on a horse riding fast, going crazy down the road, and an ostrich could run past you. Wouldn't that be weird if that happened? They they put saddles on ostriches, and of course horses, and and ride them. God has created this amazing, beautiful world. And one of the things we do when we get depressed... When we get in on ourselves, we get stuck in the walls of our own home and think our problems are sovereign and central. God has forgotten me. And you know what we need to do? We don't need more true information. We need to have a shaking, earth-rocking experience with God where we see that all the stuff that we learned about God is true. And so we go out into his beautiful world and we live out in his world and we take notes in his journal and we cry out to the Lord and we don't know any more true information at the end of that. Here's what we know. The, the one who shows up in our suffering, he's not angry and he's not going to use his strong right arm to wipe us off the face of the earth. He is friend. He keeps promises. He loves. And the ultimate beautiful promise that God has kept to you and me is this, that when you were his enemy, he promises not to hold your sin against you, but he's going to draw you back into relationship with him by sending his strong son, Jesus Christ, to be the one who would satisfy his wrath against sin so that you can become close and you can be drawn close my friends let your suffering and let your grieving bring you into an experience with god where you sense his closeness your sorrows have been used by the lord to open your eyes to who he is that's what it's i hope you're in that category some of us are in the category where we're on the way to that place So you might be saying, I'm in the suffering and I'm in the grieving. My eyes aren't open yet. The Lord hasn't shown up yet. Wait, he's going to show up. There's a third category and then we're done today. The third category is the person who's in here today is like, no, I'm on the side of the world who says, I've got God on the witness stand. I deem him to be unloving. I deem him to be unstrong. I deem him to be distant. I will not believe him anymore. And can I just say to you, friend, if that's where you're at this morning, you're in a good place. I'm glad you're here. You're loved. We desperately want you to see 
that this God is not far off. He's not working for your, your suffering. He's not, he's not trying to make himself unknown to you. He's trying to use the suffering to draw you close because he's the good friend who keeps his promises. Let's stand and be dismissed. You are the Lord, and we want to experience you as Lord. Lord, we all suffer in different ways, and so we're praying for help this morning. Would you uh, really work in our hearts, help us see you? Lord, uh, none of us is in the place, especially me, but none of us is in the place where we can uh, tell you what's up and uh, somehow give you information you lacked before so that you change what you're going to do. Lord, we know what you do will be loving and good and strong. And so we're praying for help as we cry out to you in prayer. We wait for you to show up. And we know that when you show up, it's going to be good. So help us, Lord. Help us not be rattled by trouble in the world around us. For we know that in that suffering, you're drawing more hearts to yourself. You're ministering to more needs. So Lord, dismiss us now, we pray with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.